Now turning God's word to Matthew chapters 1 and 2. We'll begin the scripture reading at Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. And read through chapter 2 verse 12. Matthew chapter 1 beginning at verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Now here begin the words of the text, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, 
they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. And the text is verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today is a day for great rejoicing and a day for celebration. Indeed, we know every Sabbath day is a day for celebration as we celebrate Jesus, our Savior, and we celebrate His resurrection from the dead and His victory over death and the grave. But this Sabbath day is a a day of celebration also because this morning we commemorate the birth of our Savior. And beloved, that is a reason for us to celebrate. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. Because this is the word of God unto us, his people, this morning. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Your Savior, beloved, has come. Your Messiah has arrived. You, the elect child of God, there is peace on earth for you. There is peace with God for you, to you who are the people of God's good pleasure. Your Savior has come. That's reason for celebration. This morning, to celebrate this glorious event, we look at Matthew chapter 2, and we look at this very striking passage of the wise men coming to Bethlehem to worship our Savior. We could say, this morning, with the wise men, we go to Bethlehem and worship with them the newborn king. And just as they give the Christ child their choicest gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, so also we come this morning to give the Christ child, to give our king our Savior, our choicest gifts, our time, our worship, our thanks. But now we should understand, as we go to Bethlehem with these wise men this morning, we're not the first to arrive, and we're not the first to see the Christ child. We could say, uh, well, we could learn, uh, we learn from Luke chapter 2, that the very same day that Jesus was born, there were shepherds who were watching their flocks by night, who had the news announced to them by the angel and by the heavenly hosts, and the shepherds were the first to arrive in Bethlehem. And they went to town, they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger, and they glorified God. That was the night Jesus was born. And then we read that after that, 40 days after, Joseph and Mary presented Jesus uh, in the temple for his dedication. And there you read of aged Simeon taking that newborn child into his arms and giving God praise. And we also read that the aged widow Anna looked upon that Christ child and gave thanks to the Lord for the birth of this king. 
And it's probably then only after all these events have taken place, perhaps even months later, that we see the wise men from the east finally finishing their long trek, finally arriving in Bethlehem, falling down and worshiping the king. And so this morning as we go with the wise men to Bethlehem, we are perhaps a little late to Bethlehem, but we come with the wise men to worship the newborn king. Now, even as I say that, I think that's a little striking itself because isn't that exactly how it should be? Because we need to remember we are Gentiles. Gentiles, just like those wise men. I I don't want to exclude any who have a, a Jewish background here, but I would say for the most part we are Gentiles. I don't want to make that division, but I can say that this morning. And, and wasn't it the rule that let the gospel go first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles? And you see, that's exactly what's happening here in this passage too, in, in all these events. First, there are those of Jewish background that hear the news and come to Bethlehem and worship the king. And then also after them come the Gentiles, represented by those wise men. The Gentiles also come and are gathered in to worship the king. And it's fitting for us to speak of going to Bethlehem with these wise men because as Gentiles, these wise men, in a sense, represent us. And just as God worked it in their hearts to come from far away, from the far-flung corners of the earth, to worship the Christ child, so God has done the same with us, gathering us in from the four corners of the earth to know Jesus and to worship Him. And to have him as our own king. So this morning we go with the wise men to Bethlehem to worship the newborn king. One thing that I need to say still by introduction is this. The focus that we need to have this morning needs to be on Christ. On that child himself. Not on the wise men. We're going to say many things about the wise men. We're going to look at the wise men this morning. And after the sermon there still may be many questions we have about who these wise men were. The Bible doesn't give us all these details that we could desire, but I think that's exactly the point. The focus this morning needs to be on Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, as the text emphasizes, He's the King. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords, even King of the Gentiles, who is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jacob, that unto Him shall the gathering of the nations be. He is King Shiloh. He is the star of Jacob. And he is the ruler of Israel. So that's what we appreciate, especially this morning. We take as our theme, going with the wise men to Bethlehem. And we look at three things. First, who they were. Second, we look at their visit to Jerusalem. And then third, their worship in Bethlehem. In order to understand the significance of this event, the first question that we can ask is, who were these wise men who made such a long journey to Jerusalem? Well, the word wise men in verse 1 is literally the word magi. And we've heard that word before. These wise men were magi. But now the same question is, it stands before us, what is a magi? What is a wise man? Well, there's two English words that we could look at that really help us to understand who these wise men were. Two English words, the word magician 
hear the word magi there, magician, and magistrate, magi, magistrate. These words and what they refer to help us understand who these men were. On the one hand, in a general sense, we could say that these wise men were magicians. That's their background. That, that's that's their, where they're coming from. They were magicians. Magi were those who worked in the king's court, and they studied the stars. They studied the stars, and they tried to use the stars to predict things that would happen in the future on earth. They thought that they could see in the stars uh, great things that were happening or great things that were going to happen. For example, uh, magicians thought that the births of great kings was indicated by special stars or by different alignments of stars or other heavenly bodies. In a sense, then, these magi were magicians. They, well, at least magi, not these magi, but magi generally, magicians, wise men, they thought they could see signs in the stars and they could maybe determine the future by what they saw. They were astrologers. Now, in Scripture, magi, magicians, are not looked upon in a favorable light for obvious reasons. They're not trusting in God and submitting to the Lord. In the book of Daniel, we often see Nebuchadnezzar calling upon the magi in order to give him the interpretation of his dreams. The young adults are looking at that in Daniel right now. Magi, generally speaking, were idolaters. They were heathen, pagan Gentiles who worshipped the sun and the heavenly bodies, and they were associated with the occult and with fortune-telling and with black arts. That's what a magi was. But magis were not only magicians, they were also magistrates. They, they served in that capacity. They served the king as the intellectual elite in the land. In fact, in political affairs, they were very influential, holding the chief offices in the state. They were rulers in government. They were from the highest classes of society. They were geniuses, we might say, very gifted men. They were filled with study, filled with knowledge, and the people of the land revered them as gifted. They served the king directly. They perhaps themselves were of royal lineage, and they were entrusted also with the education of the children of royalty. They were very high in power. And again, when you look at the book of Daniel, you, you see these kinds of things. In fact, Daniel himself could be referred to as a magi. He was a young prince from Judah. He was very gifted. He was trained rigorously in Babylon for three years so that he could serve Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of Babylon. He was, we could say, with his three friends, geniuses in the land. And we know how powerful Daniel was in Babylon. He was third in command near the end of his life. So, so we could see Daniel as a magi. Think of the prophet Balaam, at whom we looked a few weeks ago. He was like a magi too. Just like you have the Brahmin in India or the Druids in Germany, so you have these magi in the east, almost like a priestly caste who helped govern the nation. Now, with that general information before us, we can understand a, a few things a little bit better about what's going on in Matthew chapter 2. For example, it's no wonder that these wise men saw Christ's star in the night sky, and they knew it was special, because these men were 
students of the stars. They, they studied the stars, put it that way. And God in his infinite wisdom and mercy used that in order to give these wise men an unmistakable sign that they would understand. We see here the condescension of God as he speaks to his people in words that they can understand. Now, what the star was like, we cannot be sure, but we do know it was no ordinary star. It was a wonder God performed for just this occasion, to be a sign to these wise men. Second, understanding who magi are, it's no wonder that these wise men were able to make such a long, grueling, even a dangerous journey from the east to Jerusalem and to Bethlehem. And why they could even bring such expensive gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Each gift that they bring is of immense, immense value. That they are magi explains all these things. Where they got these treasures. They're very rich and powerful men. Perhaps they were of royal lineage themselves. Like Daniel was. And third, it's no wonder that when these wise men come to Jerusalem... The king himself, King Herod, dignifies them with a visit, with a meeting. You realize that no ordinary person could just have a meeting with King Herod. But these men, by their very appearance, by their distinguished speech, they command attention. They command even the reverence and respect of someone like King Herod. King Herod knows these are very wise and powerful and influential men. That's part of who these wise men were. But now what's so fascinating about these particular wise men is that they weren't just ordinary wise men. They were believers. They were believers. And that's amazing. God, in a very marvelous way, had given these men, leaders of foreign nations, the gift of faith. That's evident from the entire passage. That's evident from the lengthy trip that they make. That's evident from the expensive gifts that they freely bring. That's evident especially from the fact that when they arrive in Bethlehem and they walk into the house of Joseph and Mary and they see the Messiah, they bow down and they worship him. The only conclusion we can make is that these magi were believers who had put away their idolatry, who had put away any magic that they might have been involved in previously, and, and, and they were perhaps studying the stars just so that they might perhaps see the sign that marked the birth of the king of the Jews, so that they could make the long journey to worship him. And that brings up the question then, where were these magi from? And the Bible says that they were from the east, verse 1 says. And that's all we need to know. Most likely, these magi were from Babylon or from Persia, present-day Iraq or Iran. And they had come in contact with the Jewish scriptures, probably, from the Jews who had brought, been brought into Babylonian captivity at the time of Daniel, some 500 years earlier. Maybe some of these wise men in their generations, had been taught by Daniel himself. And they were given the faith to believe in the Scriptures and, and were waiting for the coming of the King of the Jews. Or maybe these wise men in their generations were not taught directly by Daniel, but somehow or other they came in contact with the Jews from the dispersion 
and they came in contact with the scriptures of the Jews, and they believed. They were given the faith to believe. Maybe in their study, they had also come across Numbers 24, verse 17, the prophecy of Balaam, that a star would come out of Jacob. And they had heard about the Jewish expectation that a star would mark the birth of the Messiah. And they were studying the stars for exactly this reason. And this is probably who these wise men were. Nevertheless, since the scriptures are silent on all these things, uh, we don't need to know these specific details. And, And even the silence itself emphasizes something to us. It it emphasizes, again, that in the end, the emphasis here is not on the wise men, but the emphasis needs to be on the one who these wise men came to worship. We must not become so fascinated with these wise men, but we must follow their example and, and look to the one that they themselves are bowing down to, the king of the Jews. But the great significance of these wise men, as I said in the introduction, is this. These wise men were Gentiles. That's clear from their background. That's clear from how they refer to Jesus in verse 2 as the king of the Jews. He's their king, their believers, but they refer to him as the king of the Jews, as if they themselves were not Jews. We've come to worship the king of the Jews. Uh, That this is the great significance Um, is also demonstrated, I think, why, by the fact that Matthew is the one who records this passage. Uh, Matthew, in his gospel account, he's writing especially to Jews, and he's writing to show the Jews that Jesus, throughout his whole life, is the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. And we've read that already in this passage at least twice, right? Uh, So that it might be fulfilled. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, Isaiah, chapter 7, or so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by Micah, the prophet, out of thee, Bethlehem, Ephrata. All these Old Testament passages, Matthew draws attention to them to show his Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah. And I think that's why this, Matthew is the one who records this passage as well, because there's so many Old Testament passages that speak of the gathering of the Gentiles to, to Jesus, who will bow down and give him their gifts Psalm 72, we just sang it, and and Matthew's the one who records this event because this is the significance. The wise men coming to Bethlehem and bowing down and worshiping the king, this is the beginning of the fulfillment of those many Old Testament prophecies of the gathering in of the Gentiles. Remember Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, the, the, the staff, the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering, the obedience of the nations be. That is now being fulfilled with these wise men. Oh yes, we understand there were Gentiles who were gathered into the church in the Old Testament, but in a special way, these wise men mark the New Testament time period in a sense, and the gathering of the Gentiles into the church in the New Testament time period. And now consider also that what a striking group of men to pick to be the the first of the Gentiles to be gathered into the church and to worship the king. Men who in their background and according to their training and position were magicians and magistrates They they were truly representatives of heathen nations. 
They were powerful men, even geniuses. And it's also foreign. It's also foreign to to the Old Testament scriptures. Also unusual. But, But all of this emphasizes that not only will the Gentiles be gathered in, but even all classes, all, all, all different uh, members of society, kings and leaders even, will be gathered unto Christ and give Him their obedience. Powerful men coming to worship Jesus Christ emphasizes that Jesus will indeed be King of kings and Lord of lords. His name shall be great, not just among the Jews, but even among the leaders of the Gentiles. Well, that's who these wise men were. These wise men see Jesus' star in the east, Christ's star, and they make the journey to Jerusalem. Evidently, uh, the star did not shine for them the whole time that they made their trip to Jerusalem. Uh, Evidently, the star shone and it, it shone for them in such a way that it revealed to them that they should go to Judah. Perhaps from their perspective, they saw the star when they were in the east. And maybe they saw the star rising out of the land of Judah, out of the, the western horizon. Uh, but whatever the case may be, the, the star was revealed to them. And then it, it, the star disappeared. And we get that idea from verse 9. After they had met with King Herod, we read, they departed, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east now appeared before them again and went before them. So they saw the star in the east, and then it went away, and now when they go from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, they see the star again. But they saw the star for the first time when they were in the east, and they go to visit Jerusalem. And you can understand why these wise men went to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital city of the Jewish nation. If the king of the Jews is going to be born anywhere, he's going to be born in the capital city. So they go to Jerusalem. And yet, when they get to Jerusalem, what do they see? To their surprise, there's nothing unusual going on. No celebrations, there's no parades, no festivities of any sort. It doesn't seem at all that a great king has been born in the city. They'd seen his star in the east... The great king of the Jews had been born. God, no doubt, assured them of that. And so you can imagine how these wise men are asking the question when they go throughout Jerusalem, walking throughout the streets, and they say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And then you can imagine the The people in Jerusalem, they they don't have the slightest clue as to what the wise men are talking about. A star? We haven't seen a star. A newborn king? We don't know anything of the sort. What a scene that must have been. But then we can also ask, well, were the people entirely clueless? Or did they know something? Maybe they knew a little bit about a king being born. We read in verse 3, when King Herod had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now we can understand why King Herod was troubled. King Herod, to begin with, was a very troubled man. He was a very agitated and disturbed man. King Herod, we know, was a ruthless man. He's the one who will command that all the baby boys of Bethlehem be slain. He had killed many people whom he judged to be a threat to his kingship. He even killed his own wife. He even killed a few of his own sons. 
And now here there are magi from an eastern country coming to Jerusalem so that they might worship the newborn king of the Jews. You can understand how Herod was troubled. But then we also read that all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. I guess no doubt the people might have been troubled at King Herod because if King Herod is troubled and he is agitated, well, then there's reason for concern. He's unpredictable. Who knows what he's going to do? But the text doesn't say they were troubled at Herod. They were troubled with Herod. And the people themselves were troubled about this news of a newborn king. They, they, they weren't looking for the, the newborn king. They, they didn't want any change from the status quo. They were quite comfortable with how things were, the way that they were. They were not excited about this news. But I think there might even be something more. They were troubled. And just think what must have been happening over the last year or so. There must have been rumors flying all over the place. Rumors. Remember what what we heard from someone who heard from someone about what the shepherds had told them? How the shepherds were watching their flocks by night a few months ago, maybe a year ago, and suddenly an angel appeared unto them and told them that, The Christ child has been born and then the sky lit up with angels and then they went to Bethlehem and they they saw, and what do we read in Luke chapter 2? They went abroad telling everyone about what they had heard and what they had seen. And And then there must have been rumors about what happened in the temple 40 days after when Joseph and Mary presented Jesus to be dedicated and you have aged Simeon in public, lifting up that child and and saying, now I'm ready to die because my eyes have seen the Messiah. I've seen the anointed one. And then aged Anna, we read in Luke chapter 2 that aged Anna spoke to everyone who looked for redemption in Israel. She spoke to everyone about this Christ child that she had seen. So you can be sure there was news flying about the city of Jerusalem. There must have been some kind of whisper going from door to door about all these recent strange events. And now you hear all these rumors, perhaps, and suddenly you see this group of wise men from a foreign land, dressed in strange apparel, dressed in rich apparel, with foreign accents, going around the city asking, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Where is the king of the Jews who has been newly born because we've seen his star and we are come to worship him? Now we might say, how exciting. And yet what we read is that the people were troubled. They weren't joyful. They weren't glad. They weren't hopeful. But they were troubled with Herod. Beloved, this shows just how wicked the vast majority in Jerusalem were. They didn't care about any good news about the coming Messiah. They were comfortable with their earthly situation, living in darkness. As long as we have peace with King Herod, we don't want to disturb the peace. They would rather keep things how they were going than have their Messiah be born. So they were troubled. Well, the news of these wise men travels to King Herod, and King Herod gathers his chief priests and the scribes together, and he demands of them where the Christ should be born. And that's, that's striking language too. End of verse 4, he just demanded of them where Christ should be born. Not just the king of the Jews, but, but Herod had his thoughts on the Christ, on the Messiah, the anointed one. He wasn't just worried about any king, he was worried about the coming of Christ. 
And as we know, the chief priests and the scribes point him to Micah 5, verse 2, Bethlehem Ephratah. Micah said, out of Bethlehem Ephratah shall come the ruler of Israel, shall come the Christ. And Herod meets privately with the wise men to ask them when the star appeared. No doubts that he might determine secretly how old the child is, that he might know how many baby boys to slay in the town of Bethlehem. And then he sends them off to Bethlehem to go look for this Christ child that they might worship him. Seek for him diligently because I want to know if you've found this child. How striking the scene now is. Notice this, the the chief priests and the scribes who are Jews, children of Abraham by birth, they are helping Herod and they are directing these wise men to go to Jerusalem to worship the king, to find the king. And yet the scribes and the Pharisees do not bother to make any investigation themselves. Now that's a striking picture that we should not overlook. The Jews in this passage are pointing the Gentiles to where they might find the Messiah. And yet the Jews themselves don't bother to go themselves. Who among all the people in the city of Jerusalem bother to make any kind of investigation? The walk to Bethlehem is only five to six miles, and yet no one goes. Indeed, Jerusalem is troubled at the news of the birth of the Messiah. You see, Jerusalem already now with Jesus' birth is beginning to reject the newborn king. And soon enough, not many years hence, you're going to see right outside of Jerusalem on Calvary's hill, written in plain language on top of that tree, that that wooden cross, This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This is that newborn King of the Jews that you heard about 33 years prior. And yet, what do the people do with him? But they reject him and they put him to death. And that's exactly why these wise men are brought to Jerusalem in the first place. They they don't go directly to Bethlehem. God doesn't lead them right away to Bethlehem. But God first causes them to have a detour in, in Jerusalem. And the reason for that is, in part, so that Jerusalem might stand without excuse. And also to show all of us, to show the Jews too, that salvation is going to come to the Gentiles now. You read that in the Old Testament, that kind of prophecy. Isaiah 49, verse 6. God has given Christ that he might be for a light to the Gentiles, that he may be God's salvation unto the ends of the earth. The Jews knew these prophecies. And God's going to leave them without excuse through this event. The Apostle Paul, it's interesting, in his missionary journey, he says to the Jews in Antioch of Pisidia, Acts chapter 13, this would be his first missionary journey. He says these striking words, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first be spoken to you. But seeing ye have put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation." unto the ends of the earth. So God leads the wise men to Jerusalem so that Jerusalem stands without excuse. And and that too is part of the prophecies of the Old Testament that Matthew is drawing his his audience attention to, 
to see Jesus as the Messiah even when it comes to, to this aspect of this history. God also leads the wise men to Jerusalem first and then to Bethlehem, also so that he might prepare the wise men themselves for what they're going to see in Bethlehem. God leads them first to Jerusalem so that these wise men might have it impressed upon them right away that the king that they've come to worship, the true king of the Jews, is a different kind of king than what everyone expects. He's not a king who is born in the earthly pomp and power of Jerusalem, but he is a king who is born in humble and lowly, insignificant Bethlehem. And he, he shows them that so that when they come to Bethlehem and they see the poverty of Mary and Joseph and they see the ordinary house and the ordinary street where Jesus is living and they see the child clothed like an ordinary poor child, they will understand. Yes, all of this is according to the Scriptures. This is according to Micah 5 verse 2. And if they knew other passages of Scripture, then they could put the connect the dots together and say, this is according to Scripture. And it's only by faith, it's only by the God-given faith we have that we know that a king has been born and that this is the king. That's why God led the wise men to Jerusalem. So having seen who these wise men were and, and then having seen their visit to Jerusalem, we now go with them to Bethlehem. In verses 9 and 10, we read, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And you can understand why they would have rejoiced with exceeding great joy. What a temptation it must have been to doubt when they were there in Jerusalem, and there were no festivities. And the king, Herod himself, doesn't know what they're talking about when they say we've seen his star, and we've come to worship the king. What kind of thoughts must have been swirling in their minds? And then what an assurance to leave Jerusalem and to go to Bethlehem, and they, on the way, see that star once again. And, and God gives them sign after sign, the star in the east, and then he gives them scripture, and then he gives them that star again to encourage them and to tell them, yes, keep walking by faith. How it must have relieved them of all the discouragement and temptation to doubt. And we read that the star led them, evidently, until the star came and stood over where the young child was. Now, what, what does that mean? Until evidently it, it was standing over the house of Joseph and Mary. Maybe the star was shining directly over the house, Maybe there was a beam of light, a shaft of light that was putting the spotlight on the house of Joseph and Mary. We can't be sure uh, what that language exactly means, but God led them. They walked by faith, trusting his word, and, and he led them. And now imagine the scene for a moment. You're in Bethlehem. Here they are, foreign, rich magistrates, wise men, dignitaries, walking in the midst of poor little Bethlehem perhaps walking down one of the more humble-looking streets and with, and with humble-looking homes on either side of the street. And these men themselves, as they walk down the street, they, they look so very different from everyone else. They are dressed in strange clothing and, and with a strange appearance. And they see that star hovering over a particular house, and, and they turn in, and they knock on the door. 
And perhaps Joseph is, is there to meet them at the door, to open the door for them. And we read that they enter the house and they see the young child with Mary, his mother. And there they are. And they see the child. And they see Mary. And it's also ordinary. It's also plain and simple. And what do these strange-looking, full-grown, mature men, Gentiles, in the land, do? They fall down, and they worship the infant. They fall. What a scene that must have been, to fall on their knees in that little house, worshiping the Christ child. Notice, congregation, they do not simply pay their respects. They do not simply take off their hats or take off their turbans. They do not merely reverence the child, but they, they fall down and they worship him. Notice, they worship him. Worship which is only due unto God and due unto no creature. And they worship him. And, and imagine being Mary and Joseph there. And, and you are watching this happen. And, and Mary doesn't say, no, don't worship him. But she simply sits back and, and watches these things happen. What an experience for them too. And these wise men worship that little baby and, and in so doing they are confessing him to be not just the king of the Jews, but the king of kings and lord of lords. Their king and their lord, their God, God in the flesh. And then we read that they opened their treasures. Maybe they took back the robe, and, and here comes this little treasure box. And they present their gifts. Gold, frank incense, and myrrh. Very, very costly gifts. These were the kind of gifts that would have been presented to a king by a foreign dignitary or a foreign ambassador. These were truly gifts fit for a king, fit for a great king. And they give these gifts in this small, poor house to this infant child because they knew who the child was. And they treasured and they valued the babe. And they also knew the gift that he would give to them through his cross and through his death for their sakes. And now we see the astounding faith of these wise men, don't we? And then remember, they are our representatives they are the beginning of the gathering of the Gentiles. And the question comes to us this morning on Christmas Day. Do we behave the same way that these Gentiles were behaving? Do we worship the king like these magi worship him? Falling down on our knees and giving him all our homage. Yes, we know he's enthroned in glory right now at God's right hand. We might say all the more reason to bow down every day of our lives and worship him with utter adoration. And do we give him the gifts that we've been so blessed with? The gifts of our riches, giving the Lord our finest, our time, our devotion, our trust, and our obedience, our service. What, what an example they are right at the very beginning to show all the Gentiles that would come afterwards of what our appropriate behavior towards the king ought to be. But then, beloved, remember... Our focus isn't so much on these wise men. Remember that child. Remember the gift that that child was to us. Remember the gift that he came to give. Remember what Christmas is all about. 
It's about God coming to the earth to save us from our sins. It's about our need for forgiveness. It's about us in darkness and in bondage, pining in misery with no hope in the world. Except by faith we have God's promises. That's what the church, that's the position the church was in. And and now here the Christ child has come. He's come to do the work that he was commissioned to do. Come to obtain the forgiveness of sins. Come to provide a perfect keeping of the law. Come to lay down his life so that we who were at enmity against God might, might be at peace with God. That we might have eternal life. He came to the earth so that he might die. So that through his humiliation and death on the cross and through his poverty we might be rich. And made rich with all the riches of salvation. And we need to understand, it's not just the wise men here in this passage who are our representatives. It's the Christ child himself who is your representative and mine. Because that's our head. That's our representative. That's our mediator who right now is standing in our place. Who's come to save us from death and misery. And that's our king. That's our head. And just as he drew the wise men to himself by his own irresistible grace, and he gave them faith by his spirit, so he's also done the same with us. He's come to give us salvation. And he has accomplished that salvation. We know how it ends in Jesus' life, declaring, it is finished. The work that I came to do has been finished. And my people have a full and free salvation secured for them. And now I freely give it to them through the outpouring of my spirit. What a Savior, beloved. What a God we serve. On this Christmas day and on every Sabbath day, may we rejoice in the Christ. And may we truly bow down and worship him. And may we give him our finest Truly, every day of our lives, he is the one who is worthy. He is the one who's worthy of any length of trek that you need to make in order to worship him rightly. He is God come in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is your Redeemer, beloved. And you are his precious people. Rejoice in this day of good cheer. Rejoice and worship the King. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we stand in awe of the beauty of thy scriptures and how they teach us in every different way of who Jesus is as our King. We thank thee for the point of view that we could see this morning. We pray, apply thy word to our hearts, strengthen us by thy preaching, and may it shape our lives that today and every day going forward, we might truly fall down and worship the King and worship Thee. All thanks be unto Thee, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.